0: Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cone, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, who is usually in L.A., but is in New York for the weekend hanging out with us to see... Some people at New York Film Festival, which is still going on, believe it or not, are you excited to uh, catch the big finale?
1: I love New York, and and it's it's if people say they love New York in spring, I like New York in fall. And I always associate the New York Film Festival with the crisp fall, nip in the air, kind of energetic. Feeling and and I'm 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 loving it. I'm gonna. Uh, it's uh, at Eternity's Gate, uh, Julian Schnabel, which you and I both admire a great deal, and uh, and and the closing night party, and we're gonna have a little IndieWire dinner, which I'm excited by, um, and I'm gonna interview Willem Dafoe, which uh, I'm also I love Willem Dafoe.
0: Yeah, I mean the that movie is very well chosen for New York because Schnabel is like this, you know, kind Fixture. of monolithic new yorker and um and it's a highbrow to him i will we'll be chatting at some point or another he that guy moves at, at the speed of light he's apparently just rolling into new york from some uh, ex- new exhibit he has in, in the uk so you know it's one of those people who's just you have to kind of grab him in the crowd in a way but i think it'll play pretty well in New York. It's probably the best possible platform you could ask for a movie like this because um because it isn't necessarily an, an easy sell to a, a wide audience. but It's it,
1: definitely an art film, and it's yeah. a film about art. It's, it's but
0: it's still got wonderful. Defoe, it's got Oscar Isaac, there's some recognizable faces, and it's a, it does have an emotional resonance. It's not, it's not cold experimental. It invites you in to some degree, because it really is about uh, Van Gogh's headspace. And it represents that. Definitely.
1: You know what I've been noticing, and maybe you have too? Um, there are a lot of films that are taking on the point of view of, of the protagonist and using the camera in inventive ways to get close you know, uh, to, to really mirror uh, the point of view um, and get you immersed. And if you think about um, some of the things that go on in Roma or some of the things that go on in First Man, which is opening today, um, you know, Brian Singer takes you much closer uh, to the action. It's not the same kind of old-fashioned filmmaking that Ron Howard uh, deployed on something like Apollo 13. It's, it's much more teeth rattling and uh, uh, sort of uh, close in on the cockpit. A little bit more like what um, uh, Christopher Nolan did in Dunkirk. A well, there, similar there is, MO.
0: There. And the, the thing is uh, about uh, something like First Man is that, you know, it has to deliver on the moon landing because that's what everybody's there for. Well, that's but, when it
1: goes big, yeah.
0: Yeah, but what's, what's sort of unexpected about the movie is that it's also – for the most part, a much quieter, kind of an intimate, soul-searching movie, which I think is to its credit from uh, from a storytelling standpoint. I, I don't know if it's always successful in terms of the way that it does it. In fact, I don't know if it totally is. It often felt a little bit like it was trying too hard to get you invested in the intimacy of the story and and there's a uh, I saw
1: it a second time and I have to say that the first half when you're really spending a lot of time in Houston with these sort of improvisatory, uh, you know, uh, folks at home playing with the kids, you know, having barbecues with their friends, some of that went on a little bit long. But as soon as you get up um, on the, the Gemini flight and from there on right to the moon, I would say the movie kicks into gear.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the technical side of this movie is, is really, really satisfying. But it's also kind of a hard sell in a, in a way that I think people might not have anticipated because the moon landing is almost too famous. I think what they've done uh, in terms of representing the landing from a perspective you haven't seen before is remarkable. And, the, the, and they
1: shot it in IMAX. They, they recreated IMAX,
0: the they surface of the moon. Yeah, they didn't use uh, it's all it's practical effects, you know. So that's uh, so that's what's really impressive about it. But I also wonder, it's like we have been inundated with the iconography of the moon landing for fifty years, and to some degree, I almost feel like a lot of people know that story so well that they're not necessarily compelled. To go watch a movie about it.
1: That's an interesting thing because one of the things the movie reminds you of is how many people watched uh, the landing, you know, assuming you were old enough, you know, to be up and about, um, and all over the world. And I, it's one of those things where you remember where you were when you when you saw it. And but the technology then was so gritty and video and and black and whitish and awful looking. I mean there were some great pictures taken too. This is on another level. This is stunningly gorgeously clear and crisp. And I think the way that that Chazelle tried to to show you different angles on what it was like, you know, this very slow descent, you know, onto the surface and the the looking at the footprint on the dust that's settling. I I loved it. I loved what he did with that.
0: And that's, and the, the thing is, it doesn't even really depend that much on Gosling and all of that stuff. It's, I mean, he's, he's there and his voice is there, but you're really, it's pure filmmaking in the sense you're just watching a guy kind of in this suit. And really what the achievement is is the way in which camera work and what they're doing visually beat by beat is sort of giving you a sense of what it's actually like to stand in on this vacant, you know, dead world, millions of miles from earth and and sort of contemplate things that you can't put into words without forcing that. I would watch a whole movie of that when you think about it. So they were on the moon for a couple hours. I'd love to see a movie that's just on the moon. I think the challenge with First Man is that it's really hard to feel as invested in the more sentimental side of these things as much as, you know, Armstrong's backstory what he went through with his his very young daughter dying but prior to all this stuff and then all the media attention it's just it's just not as compelling a narrative i don't think the hook is as strong as as what the actual moon landing itself kind of represents i think
1: what he's trying to do chazelle is to somehow show you this extraordinary routine of like going into outer space and then coming home to the wife and kids, <laughs> you know it's like, these are ordinary people doing extraordinary things and what it takes to achieve that. And, and I think those are valid questions. Whether it works dramatically, I think Gosling does an amazing job with a very uh, high degree of difficulty.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm not totally sold on that, on his performance in this movie, to be honest with you. Well, know- there's
1: debate. There is debate about it. There's debate about how uh, emotionally Involving the movie actually is. I I I think I always lean on the side of of how difficult was it, you know, to make this movie, and and I think it was very difficult. There's
0: tremendous talent involved, no question about it, and I, and I think that from the cinematographer to to the music to to Chazelle, kind of behind all the stuff, I mean, these people are absolutely some of the most talented young filmmaking teams making movies for mass audiences right now? It doesn't necessarily mean... Well, that's
1: a question. Are they making money, movies for mass audiences? Well, La La Land... This is a... Our, La La Land ended up transcending its art house origins and becoming a you know, an enormous Oscar contender and all of the above, everything we know. First Man is a major studio movie with a major studio budget, and the question is, is it going to uh, click with uh, a mainstream audience the right stuff years ago did not apollo 13 did i'm curious to see i mean it's projected to open at about 20 million dollars this weekend which is respectable but not great, not great. Um, it'll come in around fourth probably uh, and
0: probably not what you want a movie that could be a, a serious awards contender or at least with being positioned that way as you know launching out of Venice and then Telluride and so on and so forth it makes you wonder exactly how much this movie is going to be a part of that conversation in the weeks ahead
1: it's in that conversation. It's one of the best movies. It, it's already what Eric, as far as your colleagues are concerned, uh, on Metacritic, I think it's at 84 something Critics like that.
0: Kind. Critics have been kind Which to it, is, but it's this also is good think about the Critics Awards that are coming up in the weeks ahead. And are they going to find room for this in a year of Roma and the Favored or First Reformed or all these kinds of things? If you were going to go for, uh, say, Three random critics, if you were to take them out of a crowd and, uh, and and pull them on this movie, probably one of them would be a big fan and one of them would think it's okay and the other one would not be crazy about it. So let's talk about another movie opening this week, which we got a chance to dig into a bit out of Toronto. But now that it's, now that it's here, I think we can kind of finally reach some consensus around Beautiful Boy, a movie that, you know, it's a respectable movie about uh, an important issue that is Not totally satisfying in terms of uh, its complete picture. Obviously, Timothy Chalamet, as this drug addict, delivers what he can from the material, and Carell playing his father is, is effective to the extent that he can be. I think the challenge with Beautiful Boy is that it is just so literal-minded in terms of what it's portraying. and
1: Beautiful Boy, I think, is a little bit like uh, Joel Edgerton's Boy Erased in the sense that the filmmakers and the screenwriters are so closely embedded with the subjects of these stories. These are based on true stories, memoirs, that they lost the shape of the narrative that would engage the audience. And uh, Timothy Chalamet is amazing. He'll get nominated, but there's something wrong with the the movie it's not doing that well with the reviews if you look it up it's like 69 or something on Metacritic. that's
0: really bad i mean people may not realize just how bad you know from a from a box office standpoint that's it doesn't look great for a movie like this of course it's sort of baffling that the movie was made in the first place i know plan b which has done some great work really threw their weight behind it and it seems like there's there's some serious kind of you know intentions behind this movie because it's about recovery from addiction and all that kind of stuff but it the thing that 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 I sort of struggled with when I was watching is that it kind of just it plays like its description and, and not a whole lot more and it was just sort of I was hoping for something else something to surprise me about this narrative for the movie to explain itself beyond everything you know going into it.
1: But I think what happened. I mean, I think Blamby—they uh, make exquisite movies. They—they're often Oscar contenders. Um, they were behind Moonlight. Uh, if Beale Street Could Talk coming up. Um, uh, Selma and 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 uh, uh, the Adam McKay movie, uh, The Big Short. Big yeah. They're they're incre- and you know and and they're they're just they're really good. And what they did here, I think, was to think in order to distinguish this from other movies on this subject and not have it be some kind of glossy drama is they went for specificity. They went for the honest, authentic, true, uh, you know, story. And, and even there, even though it's admirable, you know, and elegantly made, it still feels um, like something's missing.
0: Right. It, and it's a little unfortunate, too, because Felix van Groeningen, who made Broken Circle Breakdown, is a really great filmmaker and, and seems like a good match for this material That is, could become overly sentimental if it doesn't earn it. It does earn it. It's just you, you want something a little bit more from all that. But I suppose Chalamet coasting along on the enthusiasm for Call Me By Your Name and now sort of this, you know, global star, is is sort of uh, he will survive this movie because it's not a disaster. No, he
1: comes out of it very well. I mean, you know, for example, um, Maura Tierney, who's really good in The Affair, is playing, you know, the women are given short shrift in this movie. Uh, uh, Amy Ryan is playing his mother. She's playing his stepmother. There's this great scene where she's in a car and she's freaking out, and you go, hey, yeah, that's where, that's what we want from 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 more tyranny, and she's just wasted through the movie. Um, and, and something is very muted about Steve Carell. It it you know it, it, there's something I don't know where it went wrong. I don't know if it was the directing or the screenwriting or something happened where they just didn't they just didn't find the right the right shape.
0: So the other movie that's uh, coming out this week that's dealing with really tough material is uh, getting a much more uh, robust release and that's 22 July because this is Paul Greengrass's movie going to Netflix about the mass shooting in Norway. And uh, what's really fascinating about it is this is, this is unquestionably I would say his best piece of filmmaking since United 93, but actually not as hard to watch because yes, it has this awful mass shooting, but it's front loaded with that. And then it goes off in this other direction, dealing with the aftermath and the shooter and kind of his, attempts to bring the alt-right into this mainstream context and so it's a very different kind of a movie it it sells you on its approach as it moves along I I, I think it's it's a little too busy and and a little too long and a little too overwritten but it's it's a very interesting approach to this subject matter that I I wasn't totally prepared for so I think this will be an interesting one to see how it does given that Netflix is making it available all over the world in a way that even if it's getting a small, small uh theatrical release, uh, would, no studio would ever have done. So that's um, that's so true. That.
1: That's true, and it's actually getting a theatrical release in some of those countries as as well. Um, I love this movie. I, I agree with you that it's one of his best, and um, it starts off uh, in this very uh, horrendous way, but it ends up being very uplifting in the sense that this is how the country Norway dealt with this this issue of the alt right and and this horrific uh, act of violence. They put the man on trial. They allowed him to talk they uh gave him um uh, a voice and then they argued with him um and that that is what is so moving about about the film it has a a a tough uh impact but it gives us a, a kind of a way out of some of the the horrible things that are going on not just in america not just in norway but all over the world
0: well it's kind of similar to the conversation that's been going on with um with this documentary that uh, Errol Morris did on Steve Bannon, when people are like, why would you create a platform for this guy? And the answer is sort of like, well, you could ignore it. But if you ignore it, then, you know, you're just allowing it to continue and do its thing. And in this case, I think we're seeing something similar where it's sort of like, you know, there was this other film, Utoya, uh, that premiered in the Berlin Film Festival about the shooting that didn't show the guy really at all. And this one is an attempt to kind of show... Uh, how stupid and, and sort of corrupt his ideas were, and, and how by confronting him in this courtroom context, he was invalidated in his attempts to, to kind of take his ideas
1: mainstream. Yeah, so that it, it worked really well. Yeah, I, I love this movie. I'm going to be, I think it's, I mean, you, you and others have asked if, if this movie has an Oscar shot, and I do think that there's. Um, a difficulty with the smaller Netflix movies. They're giving a huge push to to Roma, which has been established at a lot of the film festivals. But this is a smaller movie, and I don't know that even if they put it out in 28 theaters uh, stateside, if it, you know, they won't be reporting numbers. It's not going to be a big hit or anything like that. No one will know. No one will ever know how well this movie does, how many people see it or anything. And that's part of the, the strange bubble that exists with Netflix that they're trying to break out of and they're trying to somehow create buzz and interest in their titles. They have a lot of awards people and a lot of, of PR people working on their films now and there are a lot more advertising around them. But there, there, there is something that theaters... And numbers and real tracking and real word of mouth create that Netflix is is starting to try to get hold of. But as long as, as they don't enter that system entirely, I'm not sure they'll be successful.
0: Well, one thing people aren't really talking about is how much more room for experimentation for different kinds of movies Netflix has, right? Because if you look at something like Uh, 22 July, you could actually connect the dots between how this movie's kind of activist message about confronting evil is similar to the kind of activist documentaries that Netflix gets behind in that it's creating a platform for a movie that has strong ideas that could be good for the world. And if it was just an Oscar movie being released in the fall with the traditional platform release, that conversation might get folded into the awards conversation, but have less of a kind of global resonance. Whereas here, it's like, you know, some people like movies, some people don't like movies, but more people are going to engage with it internationally. And so perhaps that metric for success is in some ways more valuable the lasting impact of the movie than winning an Oscar. Whereas in the case of Roma, you want to get an Oscar. It's an, it's it's a it's a movie that you would think should be a part of the Oscar conversation. So. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting thing because I support all of the things that Netflix do. I Believe me, I'm, I'm an enormous supporter, and I love the fact that they got this movie made, and it will be seen everywhere. I think it's the Oscar conversation where the disconnect occurs, and it's so fascinating to me that they're still so hellbent bent on, on spending all that money and, and trying to emulate what the theatrical experience gives you. Yeah. That's my point. It's just Wait an too. ironic thing, I think.
0: And it's not really possible. You cannot replicate the theatrical experience at home. They're just it's two different categories of experiences. I mean, I love my TV. But it's just never It's not be. the
1: experience I'm talking about. It's the community. It's the, the buzz. Rest. The yeah. resonance of, of having something in the conversation that you and I keep talking about. That's but, what know, they're trying to emulate.
0: But on some level, narrow casting, I don't know if it's if emulation is the right way to even think about it because narrow casting is something that's totally new in terms of how you get things to people like that somebody in Morocco or whatever could be watching 22 July this weekend, the same way that we are over here, as opposed to, you know, fingers crossed it shows up in their territory at some point. Like it's, it's, it's having an impact perhaps in a way that we can't totally understand. And that's something that really changes how we talk about theatrical being this, this sort of unique impact. Because that's right or,
1: because there's some way there's some way of measuring it I guess that's I think that's the thing that the net throws people off about Netflix because it feels like this enormous void you know but it isn't it's it's an enormous amount of content going out across all these different platforms all over the world one platform really um, and yet and yet it it's immeasurable that's that's the thing you can't see it you can't taste it you can't smell it and you can't measure it
0: so, moving on from Netflix, the other company news worth t- talking about this week is a little more surprising, and that's whatever the hell is going on in Annapurna. As you put it so well in the headline for your, your piece, What the Hell is Megan Ellison Doing? Here's a company that has made some really solid movies this year Sisters, Brothers. They released Sorry to Bother You, which did pretty well, close to $18 million, something like that. And yet it seems like a lot of stuff's not going well. In, in one day, we heard about two projects that fell apart the President Production. Chelsea Barnard, who'd been there since the beginning, left, was fired, quit, something happened there, and it seems sort of like this whimsical person at the top is kind of doing things her own way, and it, unfortunately, this may not be good for some quality movies that she's sort of shepherded along.
1: Well, it's one thing to be a, a um, billionaire scion producer. Uh, with an exquisite taste, clearly. I mean, she made all of these movies with Paul Thomas Anderson, like The Master, and re- more recently Phantom Thread, which was released by Focus Features and did really well, six Oxford nominations. So uh, her, you know, with Spike Jonze, uh, Foxcatcher with Bennett Miller, I mean, she's, the list just goes on and on. And you know, of course, all the the Catherine Bigelow movies like Zero Dark Thirty, and and but Detroit was the first one to be distributed by Annapurna. And so what happened is that you a lot of these people like Crash, like Bob Yari, these people get into the movie business they see a lot of the money that they think should be coming back to them that they spent so much money to make these movies and energy and and effort and then the it feels like the distributor gets to keep all the money well it isn't like that it's a shared thing and a lot of of time not that much comes back. And that's, again, unfortunately, now that she thinks that she can be a distributor and hire smart people and make these movies work better than someone like Harvey Weinstein could or whoever she tangled with, now she's waiting for that money to come back and it's not coming back in, in the way that she would like.
0: Yeah, it's, this is sort of a different or category. father,
1: by the way. It's yeah. her father who's I mean, getting impatient with spending all this money.
0: This is what people are saying. I, mean, I You always want to avoid trying to characterize things like this. I mean, this is, a, this is a, a grown-up woman making her own choices, but clearly there are other elements in play here that kind of make it difficult to not see it in the terms you just described it as. I think there is still...
1: Reportedly. A,
0: yeah, reportedly, but but it seems likely that the, you know that's what the source of the money is her father's wealth so that there something must be tied up and all that it's obviously a different category of problem than say broad green where you had people who were running a company that also seemed so disconnected from the film world period i mean as far as naive. i can tell, you know megan is uh, she's not
1: naive Used to having her own way and not worrying about how much money these movies made, and now she has to worry about it.
0: It's, yeah, and no matter what, there's too it's too much at stake. You can't make a, a $40 million movie or a $60 million. Was it Vice? Vice had-
1: is $60 million, and yes. that's the Adam McKay movie, the follow-up to The Big Short, with with Dick Cheney played by an over you know bulked up uh, Christian Bale. I want to see the movie. I am eager to see the movie. But anybody with a head on their head on their shoulders can see that sixty million is a lot for that movie, yeah. and it means they have to make a lot—two hundred million or so—to get to get their money back. Remember, fifty percent of what goes is reported as grosses goes back to the distributor. the The, the theaters keep half of it.
0: Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, uh, I think this story is going to keep developing and in, in more. Details are going to dribble out. Some of them more reliable than others. Obviously, the Annapurna spokespeople are just denying everything and saying it's just business as usual. But we'll see how it actually affects these movies in the weeks ahead. And um, I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to take a closer look at Vice and, and how that plays out once we get a chance to see it. So we don't even know if it's a good movie or not. So no, but there's,
1: they lost. They lost their president uh, back in April. Uh, they or June. Uh, they, they lost. Um, june they lost their uh cfo they lost their uh Oh, they, they they have lost lots of people over the past year key people so this isn't just a of you know an odd thing uh the question is whether uh the messages that she's sending to the community are that there's something really wrong
0: right so I guess, um, I guess it's it to be continued on this one. In the meantime, we've got the last weekend of New York Film Festival to hang out for a little bit and see how all that goes. And then next week, uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to uh, evaluate further how things are doing because uh, there's a lot more that's still coming out, but we've got a lot of movies already, you know, from First Man to Stars Born that are playing and, and uh, generating new reactions. So that story will keep evolving. And, yes, the Fall Festival will – continue the fall festival circuit the next with- one
1: is afi fest including the the uh steven soderbergh sandra bullock movie what which do you know anything about that i
0: you know, basically nothing except what you just said so there's a, that that's a good start though it kind of you know get us going it's that, enough to make me want to see it obviously and then uh, you've got on the basis of sex and uh and and all that stuff so much more to come in the meantime let's uh let's do our new york film festival scene see you you later bye
1: step into the world of power loyalty